I am Elle Penelope, author of Epic Fantasy and Paranormal Romance, and welcome to My Imaginary Friends, a look behind the scenes of an author mapping the worlds in my head and making them a reality. Hello, friends. Today is Saturday, May 1st, 2021, and this is episode 118 of My Imaginary Friends. I'm Leslie. I just realized my glasses are very, very dirty. Today's episode is sponsored by the newest historical romance from author Vanessa Riley, An Earl, the Girl, and a Toddler. It's the follow-up to A Duke, the Lady, and a Baby, which received rave reviews from Entertainment Weekly, The New York Times, NPR, and many more. In the story, a shipwrecked woman arriving in London from Jamaica searches for her memories and becomes entangled with a conflicted nobleman who holds more answers than he realizes. Riley tackles race and women's rights through a historical lens, spotlighting the whitewashed history of Black people in Regency England. If you loved Bridgerton, then definitely check out An Earl, The Girl, and a Toddler by Vanessa Riley, wherever books are sold or at kensingtonbooks.com. Vanessa is a friend of the show, and she is wonderful. You should definitely check out her um, Instagram and social media because she is a riot on there, and she's doing really good work on the promo. And uh, yeah, these books have been all over the place. I'm really excited to read them, and I hope that you enjoy them. So this week's best thing is Shadow and Bone on Netflix. I watched the whole thing a few days ago. It took me two or three days because my mind just gets full, and I wanted to take a little bit of time. Sometimes I just want to like enjoy something. You know, if I binge it all the way through, then my mind is spinning and I don't even remember what I've watched. So yeah, I I really, really enjoyed it. I loved the show so much. I was texting my friends. I'm like, why aren't you watching this? Why can't we talk about this? I need to, (laughs) I need to gush to someone. But none of them have, not my closest friends haven't read the books. So I I read the first Shadow and Bone book, the first of the trilogy, and I was kind of met on it. I, I looked back on Goodreads and I'd given it a three and a half. I, I marked it as a four stars, but I, in the text, it was three and a half stars. And then, of course, Six of Crows, I adored. It inspired me to write my own heist story. Uh, and I loved everything about it. So what was really interesting about the TV show, they take these two series by Lee Bardugo, who, and they take place in the same world. But in the books, the main characters don't meet. There are some minor characters that you see in both books. And so they take uh, the story of Shadow and Bone, from what I understand, and then they take the characters of Six of Crows and put them in a different heist. And I think that's also one of the reasons why I really liked it, because I tend to have a difficult time with adaptations when I read the book first. So with like Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, I had read all the books. And when it came time for the movie, in my mind, I'm just comparing them to the books. And so the movie's never quite, I mean, I think Lord of the Rings was a little bit different, but um, I know definitely with Harry Potter, never quite held up because I was like, oh, they didn't do this. They didn't do that. I, I missed this. That's, you know, that's different. It's not how I pictured it. I just have a hard time. And so I had read Shadow and Bone like almost 10 years ago, whenever it came out. So I didn't really remember anything about it. Six of Crows was much more recent, but since they changed it, I didn't have anything to compare it to except for the characters and the performances of the actors, which I thought were phenomenal. I, I loved I loved all of the actors and their their roles, you know, and their interpretations of the roles. If it had been the exact story from Six of Crows that I really loved, um, I might have had a harder time with it. Like the characters of Nina and Matthias, um, they took their backstory and put it into season one. And I think it worked well because it was just a small piece of it. But I think for those were my least favorite parts for other reasons. I, I really still love those characters and my heart is just in many, many pieces. 
Because <laughs> I knew what was going to happen there because I did remember that. Uh, and I won't spoil it, but my heart is in many, many pieces. <sighs> so, and kind of you know what's going to happen to those characters if you've read the books. And it's really interesting. But on its own, on its own merits, I just felt like it was gorgeous. It was really well done. The acting was really great. Um, even the actors, like the main actor, the main woman who played Alina, and that character is so difficult to <laughs> to like, for me at least. Um, I, I liked her performance a lot. And yeah, Ben Barnes doesn't age at all. But I highly recommend the series. I, I definitely enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to what's coming next. And yeah, that's a really an example of um, a good adaptation. I can't think of too many other books that I've read that have had adaptations. I, I didn't read Bridgerton. I've never read Game of Thrones. So I was able to enjoy those on their merits from you know what was on screen. And there's other examples where I have watched the movie first and then read the book, like with Jurassic Park. Um, we listened to the audiobook of Jurassic Park a few years ago, my husband and I, because, I mean, he loves, he grew up reading Michael Crichton, and I had never read, actually read any Michael Crichton. And they're really well done. I mean, the book, obviously the movie of Jurassic Park is fantastic, but the book is better, I think. Uh, and then like Golden Compass, I watched the movie first and then read the book. And that's, you can't even compare them because they decided to tell a completely different story for whatever reason. I haven't seen the new show or the recent show. I've, I've been meaning to watch it, but. So anyway, yeah, highly recommended. I was like, should I spend the whole episode talking about Shadow and Bone? I was like, no, nobody really wants to hear that. But uh, I might actually watch it again because it's also an instance of where, you know, I read the first book, the Shadow and Bone book, and they elevated it in my mind from what I, I remember about it. And the world building was kind of my my quibble was that um, it just felt very light. You know, it was her first book. She has grown so much as a writer because I, like I said, I, I adore Six of Crows, that that duology. But the the TV show had just elevated this world. And, and maybe because they were drawing from, you know, 10 plus years of her writing and so many books that she has, there's seven or eight in the series, the different series that are connected in the same world. But um, yeah, I thought that they were able to bring something more to a book. And that's always a really interesting, a really interesting thing. So in writing news, I am moving right along on my paranormal romance, my portal shifter story. I have 20,720 words written in the manuscript in two weeks, which is really great. I, I sort of blew past my own um, estimates. Like I have my, my written goal is 8,000 words a week. My push goal is 10,000 words a week. And my super push goal is 12,000 words a week. And this week I've gotten 12,571. And I'm still going to write tomorrow. So I count my, my writing week from Monday to Sunday. Uh, so if I write tomorrow, I will push past that. And so then I was thinking, oh, I can go back to my Gantt sheet. I can write this book faster than I thought. I won't need the full, I think I gave myself until the end of July to write this because I thought it would be fast drafting and then doing the revision. But I'm writing a clean version. And I really have been tempted to go and like push my schedule. But then I was like, mm, it's been two weeks you know, we haven't got to the midpoint. You know, the midpoint is often a struggle. Now, this is a book that has been in my mind for five years. So 
I think that's one of the reasons why I've been moving through it pretty easily. The story is set, even with the changes I've made, it's just something that's been living in my brain for such a long time. And I, I do think that has to make a difference. But I'm still holding myself back from adjusting the schedule. I'll just, I'll see how it goes. There's no reason to, <laughs> to move all the bars on my Gantt sheet yet. I'm hoping that I'll finish it faster. I, ideally, I would love to write the first two together. Because I was kind of lamenting the way my schedule is looking, it's, I might only be able to do one of these a year. And I would love to be able to put out two a year. And I don't want to burn myself out and, you know, have my eyes get bigger than my, <laughs> my hands. I don't know. Like your eyes can get bigger than your stomach or your writing brain, whatever that should be. I don't want to just like jump ahead too much and then get disappointed. So I'm exceeding. I'm exceeding expectations right now, and I'll just leave the schedule alone and see how it goes. And then once I actually get to the end, then I'll make some more decisions. I have also been thinking about editors. Like I was going to book my editor in August, but if I'm done with this book early, should I book her early? That's kind of the, the thing. Like if I think I can finish this book far earlier than planned, should I try to book the editor earlier or should I just let it sit for like another month or whatever? And um, not do that. So that's the, that's the open question that I'm dealing with right now. But yeah, I'm, I'm so grateful. It's been so smooth so far. I am almost scared to to jinx it. Um, but yeah, like I said, the story's just been with me, and it's it's coming out very easily so far and clean, which is also a surprise. So since I have altered my normal technique of uh, just doing a fast draft all the way through without going back. Uh, I have to sort of figure out this the way that this book is coming out. Like, what's the technique for this one? And it's sort of the, the part of my normal style. It's just the, the second half of it. So what I'm doing is, you know, I'll write the scene slowly. And then the next day I will go back and revise it and then write the next scene. So I'm basically doing uh, revise one, write the next one. And then the next day, revise yesterday's, write today's scene. And that has been working. I am using a feature of Scrivener that I haven't really used before. It's been there for a while. And it is the linguistic focus tool. So you can go into Scrivener and you can have it highlight just the dialogue in your, in your scene. And that's been helpful because I am going back and forth between narrators. And if I take a day between scenes, it's like, oh, what, what did they say? And so I can go back to yesterday's scene, turn on the linguistic focus tool, and just have the, the rest of the text fade to gray. And it will be highlighted, only the dialogue, everything in, in quotes. And I can just read it like a play. And that's been really helpful to, you know, because I'm doing the world building and this is the beginning and there's exposition that has to come out and it's a portal. So my main character, Natalia, is in this new world and I have to figure out how to do the exposition. Like, how do I give her the information that she needs? Where is she? What's happening? Who are these groups? Who are these shifters? Why? You know, all of the questions that she has, you have to parcel out the information so it's not a big info dump. And I think that it was Margie Lawson who I heard talk about, you know, you think of your backstory like a mirror, you drop it, you shatter the mirror, and then you take little slivers and you like, you know, splice them in. So you have just like little pieces here and there. And I, I do always try to do that. And I think I was on chapter seven or eight and I was like, okay, now we just kind of need 
the info dump. So at a certain point, you just need the information. Like I've been teasing it and I'm like, I think the reader by now is probably either really frustrated with me or just really ready, ready to know as much as possible or like whatever they need to know in a big chunk. Because, you know, the slivers are great and that works really well, but sometimes you just need to tell them something like show, don't tell until you need to tell. It's kind of my motto. And it's just about finding an interesting way to tell the information so it's not boring. Um, so yeah, using the linguistic focus has allowed me to go back and say, okay, what was said versus what she's thinking and what my um, hero, the other POV character, Ryan, is thinking. And who knows what, when, like all those kind of details that you have to keep track of. So yeah, I have been using that and I recommend it. It's really cool. If you're a Scrivener user, at least on the Mac, it's under Edit Writing Tools, and you'll see Linguistic Focus, and um, you can highlight nouns, pronouns, adjectives, adverbs, and uh, you can choose how much they fade back, and also direct speech, which is what I've been using. I haven't actually used any of the other ones, conjunctions, prepositions. I'm sure that could be helpful at some point, but, uh, you know, Scrivener is so wonderful, and it has so many aspects of it that, you know, it's impossible to use 100% of the of what's in that software. And uh, I, I appreciate like finding new little little tweaks, little ways to tweak my process and use additional features and functionality. So there's your tip for the day. In other uh, publishing news, or tasks, I redid some of the back matter of some of my self-published books. So Sky Warren, she's teaching in ads for authors class. I'm not in that class because I don't have enough self-published books to make it worth it to advertise them. But she did a webinar that I saw sort of a, as a promo for the class. And I took a lot of, a lot of good information away from the webinar. And something simple that I realized I could do was improve my back matter. So if you're not familiar, back matter is whatever comes after the very end of the story. And when you're creating your ebook, usually you can use that space right after the, the end, the last chapter, the, the epilogue, whatever, to promote the next book in the series or promote another series, like whatever you want them to read next. You try to give them a call to action, give the reader a call to action. And I had stuff there, but the way I worded it probably wasn't optimized. So I, I worked on that for Angelborn. Angel Fall and uh, the Cupid Mix-Up, which is currently the first Cupid Guild book is free on all platforms. And I just realized I need to update it on my direct store on PayHip because my uh, self-published books, you can buy direct from my website if anyone wants to do that. Um, and I've uploaded it everywhere else, but I need to make a note to do that. So it's just kind of the wording. It's kind of making it seem like an ad to try to entice people to actually click that link to go to the next thing. Um whatever you want them to do. So I'm, you know, from one book leads to another. And then when they're at the end of the series, I try to lead them to something kind of similar. So Angelborn and Angel Fall are the paranormal romance books. Cupid Guild is paranormal romance, but it's lighter, but it's still in that umbrella. So I'm kind of pointing people from Angel Fall to Cupid Mix-Up. I also changed something else in the back router. So oh, in Angelborn, I have some deleted scenes that were just on my website. And at the end of the book, I was like, hey, you want to read some deleted scenes? Click here. And they were just on a page. And I was like, oh, well, it would be more advantageous to get them on my newsletter if they're not already there. So I changed it into, um, to get the deleted scenes, you have to actually sign up for the newsletter and then they get emailed to you. 
and then you get pushed into the regular autoresponder, which is the automated email sequence that, um, that I already have. So I made that change. And those kinds of things take a lot of time. It took several hours to, you know, set up the email list and the form. And then the autoresponder was already there, but I had to kind of rejigger it <laughs> and then update the back matter, export, check it, upload it to Amazon and draft to digital and Google Play. Um, one book is on Kobo. This is why I don't go direct everywhere because of <laughs> exactly this reason. Yeah. So I've done that. There were a couple more books. I wanted to check out the other Cupid Guild books and just look at the back matter, um, update it if necessary. I haven't done the novellas for the Earthsinger Chronicles. Yeah, I need to do those too. So I'm kind of taking it slowly, doing a few books a week as I have time open up in my schedule. But reviewing your back matter and also reviewing the autoresponders and the emails. That's always something I try to do a couple times a year just to make sure I'm not mentioning anything that's out of date. Like I try to keep those evergreen. Um, so when you sign up for my newsletter, you get a short story, you get like two short stories, you get the reading list of um, historical black speculative fiction, which I really think is cool personally. Um, yeah, it's about four emails you get in one, once a week, in addition to the little video that I send people who sign up. And yeah, just checking to make sure that, that things are working. I should check the links because sometimes links stop working on things. There's all kinds of things to do and to make a longer list. But I am preparing for the release of the collection of Earthsinger novellas. So I got the print proof from Amazon. They've started putting the uh, not for resale like text on the cover, which is kind of annoying because I would like to really obviously check the cover. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's just a thin strip, but it, um, and the back cover, it covers the text. So I mean, obviously I can proof it on the computer, but the whole point of proof is to proof everything. So, uh, yeah, I've got that. I'm waiting for the one from, um, I was going to say lightning source. It's Ingram, Ingram spark, which is the same company as lightning source, but and the issue I mentioned last week about the size and the cover, this cover came out perfectly, the Amazon print one. I, I'm always worried about the spine and the the bleed over because I won't go into it, but just design issues. But it came out exactly the way I wanted it to. It's perfectly lined up, at least on this copy. So hopefully the Ingram Spark copy will be similarly good and I won't have to worry too much about it. And yeah, I also am doing the graphics for the read-along. I did the schedule, so I'm going to post that sometime in the next two weeks. Um, the read-along I'm doing of all the Ursinger Chronicles, which does mean I have to go back and reread my books. I already have the information for Song of Blood and Stone, and I think I did Breath of Dust and Dawn, too, because I've done a read-along previously. So I do have to go back and at least skim through Whispers and the other four books. I'm not going to leave them all. It would take too long. Uh, so I can, you know, create sort of like the behind the scenes details, like the annotations. And that's what I'll be posting on Instagram for this read along. And I'm thinking my initial plan was to do after each group of books. So the novel novella grouping to do like an Instagram live. I might still do that. I was thinking maybe I shouldn't because it's a lot, but I think it would be fun. So it'd be like a spoilery Q and A for that, that group of books. Uh, so that's, I don't know if I'm going to put that on the graphic, though. That might be just more like a, 
And hey, guess what? There's an Instagram live next week, as opposed to advertising it and then having to commit to it. Because if I don't say I'm going to do it officially, then I could bow out if I, if there's not enough interest, if like nobody cares, and I'm like, I'm not going to do it. So I won't, I won't promise something that I don't want to, that I won't be able to deliver. Whew, yeah, so that's what I've been doing. It's been busy, like doing the actual writing work and then kind of focusing on the other publishing tasks that you have to do when you're self-published. Reminds me of what I already knew, but an, a visceral reminder of how difficult self-publishing can be. It is how much work it is. It's like, I still have to do a lot of promo. And, I mean, the promo, the whole read-along thing is really for Requiem. It's for the trad pub book. So it's not all self-publishing stuff, but the back matter stuff definitely is. Adding the Q&A section. So uh, I'll start going through some of the questions that I've received. If you have a question for me, just email me at podcast at lpenelope.com and I will answer it in a future show. So what were books that you read as a child? I loved classics. <laughs> I loved Secret Garden, Little Lord Fauntleroy, Matchstick Girl, like those kinds of books. I, I would read Secret Garden over and over and over again. I loved Dickon. <laughs> Mary was weird. Colin was annoying, but I, I just loved the story. Um, I remember I loved Virginia Hamilton. So you had some black science fiction, like YA, um, Justice and Her Brothers was the series. All, a lot of my books are gone. Like my childhood books are gone. I, I have a handful of them, but I've moved across the country a couple of times. My mom has moved a few times and, you know, you shed books over the years as you go. If I could go back in time and do a few things, one of them would be save some of those books that I loved so I could have those original versions that I, that were so dog-eared. Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret was like my Bible as a child, as like a tween teen. I, I read that book like almost every week. I don't know why I've had so much comfort in that book. Uh, so those are kind of some of the ones I remember um, when I was really young, like middle school, high school, as being like formative texts. Interestingly enough, Never Ending Story was one of my favorite movies as a child. Like I would, I could recite all of the dialogue from that movie. <laughs> Uh, I tried to read the book and it's so different. I never got through it. You know, like it's, that's another one of those examples where I'd seen the movie and then the book was just like, Oh wait, that's not how it was in the movie. And I just, because the movie was so close to my heart, I could never read the book. And I, I hear the book is wonderful, but, uh, couldn't do it. And then what's the scariest thing you've ever written? Did you ever publish or share it? Scariest to write? Um, when I was when I was younger, I mean, I've always written since I was five years old. I would write stories, and my stories were very dark for a long time, like to the point where my parents were concerned. I had a story. I don't know even. It was like ten or eleven. I was writing about necrophilia, like dark, dark stuff. And I did. I shared it with them, and I think the reaction I got was like, "Oh, they were like, are you okay, Leslie? <laughs> like, what do we need to do to make you happy? <laughs> like, to improve your mood? So you can you write happy things?" And I was like, I'll try. But as like a grown-up person, I think it is important to to try to like as an artist of any kind to try to do things that scare you. And I could talk about oh the next challenge, like a writing challenge I'm going to have. It's because it scares me. Writing the heist was scary because I don't I didn't know if I was up to it. And I still I, I love the manuscript, and I wonder what my editor is going to say because I don't think it's heisty enough. And I feel like I should stop calling it a heist. I mean, it is, but 
it's not like they're breaking into a bank or anything. It's not like one of those, it's a different kind of heist. It's like a Leslie heist. It's going to be, it's always going to be different. And it's, I'm scared of it now, like the promise of it. Because even though I love it, I'm like, is it going to be what people expect? That's sort of where, those are the things that, that scare me. Like I'll try something hard. Um, I, just writing something in historical times, that was also scary. I have not wanted to do real life research and, and I shied away from it for a long time. And then I decided to do it because it, it scared me. So yeah, I, I'm always trying to, to write things that scare me in those ways. Now, if it's about actual horror, I don't, I was in the, uh, an anthology for Black women horror writers, Sikorex's daughters, and my horror story. It's actually one of the free short stories you get when you sign up for my newsletter. It's called The Moncana Keel, and it's about a monster, but it's also kind of a love story. But it's not but the monster. It's a human. And at the very end, it's like a little bit of a love story. But uh, yeah, I'm not drawn to horror in that way. Horror for me is like what I've said, like trying to do things that are difficult, that are scary, and that will push me and make me grow, hopefully. Speaking of scary, one of the taglines for Elodie Novodatsky's um, new podcast, A Self-Published Author's Diary, she always introduces it by saying like what she writes, and one of the things is um, things that scare the crap out of me. And I always chuckle at that because I, I think that's really cool. And I am on the episode 11. I'm interviewed on the podcast. I invite you to listen to it. We had a really great conversation. There is also a giveaway. She's giving away one of my books. So if you would like a print book, you get to choose which one it is. I will put a link in the show notes, but you can also go to a selfpublishedauthorsdiary.com to uh, listen to the episode, to join the giveaway and check out her books. I'm also going to be at the Imaginarium Book Festival, May 8th and 9th which is this coming weekend if you're listening in real time. And I'm on two panels. They should be really fun. There's a lot of wonderful authors that they got since it's going to be online. It was supposed to be a real life uh, festival in DC and I was actually looking forward to it. It was supposed to be last year. And then this year we're doing it online, but um, definitely check it out. It is free to attend and I'm excited about that too. Check out my events page. I will be at Balticon and I'm, some other things are being booked. So really exciting stuff. And finally, I'm going to link in the show notes to an Instagram post from one of my favorite authors, Colleen Hoover. And it's about her process and failing and not giving up and how she's been stuck for months and months and just uh, her writing process. And I found it like really inspiring and, and interesting because, as I say, I adore her books. I haven't read anything from her that I haven't loved. And I keep some of her books like in a glass box. Like, I'm not reading this. This is breaking glass in case of emergency. When I'm in the worst reading desert, I will. I always want to make sure I have another one of her books that I can read. And of course, all the other ones, the older ones I have her that I can go back to. But um, yeah, it was, a, it was a really good post. So if you're struggling and you would like to get a little burst of inspiration from someone amazing who is also struggling, then check that link out. And that's it for me for this week. I will talk to you next week. And my goal this week is between eight and 12,000 words. The stated goal will remain 8,000 words. I'm not going to push the goalpost, but if I get past that, you know, if I get more words, I will be very excited. And hopefully I will stay on this nice, smooth track of writing. And happy Mother's Day, because I won't talk to you before then. 
For episode show notes and to sign up for the Footnotes newsletter and get the show notes in your inbox, go to myimaginaryfriendsshow.com. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and watch the video episodes on YouTube. I would really appreciate a rating or review to help support the show. And My Imaginary Friends is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. For more fantastic podcasts, go to frolic.media slash podcasts.